Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. A disciple is a student. It's one who sits at the teacher's feet to learn from him, but not just to learn from him, but to go for him, to go make more disciples. He selects these 12 because he wants them to be with him, but then to go for him. He's inviting you today to be with him, but then to also go for him. Have you ever signed up for a sports team? If you have, why did you? To play the game, right? You didn't sign up to be a bench warmer. No, you want to get into the game. In today's message, Pastor James teaches how Jesus' disciples ended up in the game. We learn about how he picked each of his disciples and taught them and trained them to serve and minister to others. Are you a disciple of Jesus today? Do you want to just sit on the bench and watch? Or are you ready to get in the game? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. So this is what's happening as he's going around the region of Galilee. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He, I mean, there's just so much evidence that he is, yes, he is the son of God. So much evidence. And so in the midst of this, he does have his disciples, as we would know them. He had many disciples. I hope we understand that. At one point in time, he sent out like 70-something disciples, right? But now he's going to narrow it down to the twelve. And here's what he does. We know Matthew's account says that he went up onto a mountain and he prayed all night long before he designated who these guys were going to be. Mark doesn't include that detail, but he just lets us know in verse 13, he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired. I like that. There's something about that that I appreciate. Okay. Anybody can come to Jesus. Anybody can follow Jesus, but there's another aspect to this thing where he does specifically call individuals. He does call individuals. Does it mean like, well, does that mean he doesn't want me? No, that's not what that's saying at all. But for this task and for what he had for the church going forward, he selected these, we'll say 11. He selected Judas. He picked Judas. Never forget that. He picked Judas. He knew what Judas was going to do. He still chose him. He still picked him. But after a whole night of praying, and you got this group of people that are following, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you. Twelve of these guys. To set them apart, so for the conclusion of his earthly ministry, he was going to pour and invest himself into them, and then set them free to build the church. They were the ones whom he desired. And they came to him, verse 14, it says, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles or sent ones, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That's the key to being an apostle for sure. But that's also key to being a disciple 
right? There's this notion that disciples are Christians, but maybe not all Christians are disciples. I don't know if I agree with that. I think I do. I've always, because you know, you know the, the deal. There's a lot of Christians that love Jesus, have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, but you're not really doing anything. It's like that, I've used this illustration many times. Nobody signed up to play basketball to sit the bench. Nobody. And if you did, I don't understand you. I don't get you. I, I just don't. Because I signed up and I tried out to be on the court. And I hated this rule. Hated this rule. To this day, I hate this rule. Let me tell you that right now. I hate it. This fair play thing. I hate it. Because you can only play for so many minutes and you got to go sit out so we can let somebody. I'm like, they're no good. They're no good. Why are you taking us out when they can't play basketball? I hated that rule. Hated it. It still bugs me. I've been 20 years out of high school. Why am I still on this? I don't know. Um, get over it, right? Like, yeah. Anyways, back to the point. You didn't sign up for this to, to ride the pine, right? Like, you didn't sign up for this thing to sit the bench. No, you signed up. A disciple is a student. It's one who sits at the teacher's feet to learn from him, but not just to learn from him, but to go for him, to go make more disciples. He selects these 12 because he wants them to be with him, but then to go for him. He's inviting you today to be with him, but then to also go for him. You can be a Christian and shift it into cruise control and ride on into eternity and glory with him, and you'll be fine. But you'll miss out on a lot. You will miss out on the adventure. You will. You'll miss out on the journey. I say, get in the game. Get in the game. What do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. Go for it. I'm not, I, can't, I don't know how to dribble. That's fine. Go stand in somebody's way, set some screens. I don't know. Just get on the court and have some fun playing this game. Verse 15, he says, he's also giving them authority to cast out demons. His, his followers, his disciples here, they, he was giving them the ability to cast out demons. Demons needed to be cast out, especially during this time. For whatever reason, there was a lot of demonic activity. I think I know why. It's because Jesus was there. Um, but there were a, a lot of demonic activity. And I, I get it. There's a lot of modern scholars today who like to dismiss the whole demon possession thing. It's like it's mental illness. Well, I believe there's mental illness. Don't get me wrong. There's absolutely mental illness. But please don't try to use that to explain away demonic possession, because that's a very real thing. And if you think that's done because the gospel's ended, you're not out there. You're not out there on the battlefield, because I've encountered people, and it wasn't mental illness. It was demonic possession. You know what's amazing? You, follower of Jesus, the same authority is being granted to you. Now, don't let that go to your head, okay? Don't start up your own ghost-busting service or anything like that. If you're looking for it, you're a little crazy, okay? 
You keep walking with Jesus and you draw close to Jesus, and I promise you this, you'll encounter it. You'll encounter it. But don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I've I've shared this with you guys before, but there is an acquaintance of mine. I guess I can call him a friend, but he used to serve the college ministry at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Garrett Beeler is his name and his initials, GB. And uh, in that college ministry, they were doing Thursday nights in Costa Mesa. And he's like, I don't know what the deal was, but man, there was just an influx of people showing up and like just demon possessed there at their college services. And he was like, he, along with some of his friends, I mean, they're praying over people and casting out demons. And so his, his buddies nicknamed him because it's GB, Garrett Beeler. They're like, Ghostbuster, that's your name. And uh, he's like, no, no, I don't want that ministry. He's like, no, I don't want it. He's now a pastor in Southern California, but it was there. It was real. It was real. But these guys had the authority over the demonic realm. They could cast out demons. Verse 6, here's the list. It says, he appointed the 12. You have Simon, uh, who gave the name Peter, or, you know, Rock. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Boanerges. I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff. It's the Sons of Thunder, and you're like, oh, that's a sweet nickname. Well, I think it probably had to do with the fact that they were like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to kill this, you know, wipe out everybody in this town? Like, maybe they were very passionate, or maybe their passion was like misdirected. I don't know, but Jesus is like the Sons of Thunder. That's who these guys were. In Bible college, we had nicknames for other guys. We called them Sons of Thunder as well, but that's because they ate too many protein bars. So if you get that, you're like, you know why. But um, they didn't, in nothing for the glory of God, but you're just like, you guys need to get away. Um, anyways, next on the list. So you got Peter. Just so you know, Jesus isn't picking like, I don't know how you say this nicely, the best and the brightest as far as the world's concerned. Peter, fisherman, fisherman, has this issue with speaking before he thinks, kind of have that sometimes. He's very zealous, very passionate guy, but the world's not going to pick him. The religious world certainly is not going to pick Peter. James and John, other fishermen. Uh, he, the list goes on. He's got... Um, Andrew, who is Simon's brother, he's the one who actually brought Simon to Jesus, and he, was, he would also bring this group of Greeks to Jesus as well. You have Philip. Remember him? He was kind of hanging out underneath the tree, and Jesus is like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up, Philip? You were reading about me in the Old Testament. He's like, what in the world? Um, you got Philip there. You got Bartholomew. You have Matthew. That's the tax collector. He worked for the IRS. Um, he's a traitor in the nation of Israel okay, because he's a tax collector working for the Roman government. And then you have Thomas, who was unfortunately nicknamed Doubting Thomas, which is just terrible. So what? He doubted. Like, we're not calling each other Doubting doubting James. I have seasons of doubt as well, but for, forever, you're going to get to heaven, and you're like, where's Doubting Thomas, right? And he's like, oh, again, another one. Um, he's like, where'd that come from? But Jesus selected him. Jesus knew he was going to post-resurrection doubt if Jesus was really the Messiah or not. He still chose him. He still picked him. He knew what he was getting. James, the son of Alphaeus, or otherwise known as James the Lesser, right? You're like, oh, that's great. Um, 
Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot. This is an individual who uh, him and Matthew, or Matthew otherwise known as Levi, you put those two together in the same room, you might have a fight, okay? Because the zealous, the nationalist, and all that good stuff, and then you have Matthew, who's a Levite, or he's not a Levite, but he's, his name was Levi, but the tax collector working for the Roman government, this is oil and water, man. They don't mix. They don't mix. But Jesus is like, I'll take you, and I'll take you. And they're like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah. Don't worry. After all this, you'll be brothers. You'll be brothers. And then Judas Iscariot, who there's a little note there, who betrayed him. These are the guys he selected to go with him, to be with him, and to go for him. We all know what happens with Judas Iscariot, who it says, who does betray him. We'll touch on that later on in the Gospels. Verse 20, though, it says, when he went home, the crowd gathered again. So this is probably within Capernaum. So that he, they could not even eat. Right? So this is when it's getting crazy. I mean, they're just, it's ministry, and they're just pressing in and pressing in, and it's nonstop, and, and he's not eating, and now people are starting to worry about him. And it says, verse 21, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him or arrest him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Jesus has lost his mind. He's crazy. All this, you know, doing good has gone to his head and he has totally lost it. He's not even eating anymore. John 4, 34 says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, he's going to eat. He'll eat. But right now the ministry demands are so crazy. I mean, the people are just pressing in and pressing in. They don't even have time to stop. They don't even have time to to grab a little nosh or anything like that. And it's like, now word gets back to Mama Mary. And she's like, oh, my boy, my baby boy. He's like, we got to go get him. He's lost his mind. He's crazy. So she gets up, you know, together, his brothers, maybe some of his sisters, perpetual virgin. I don't know how that works. So she had a lot of other kids, okay? So love Mary, but she's not still a virgin. I hope we understand that, right? Okay? Because he's got brothers, half brothers and sisters, okay? Anyways, tremendous woman, blessed by God, absolutely. She rounds up the posse to go get Jesus because he's lost his mind. He's crazy. And this is a literary thing that they do, a technique that is often used back then, where they'll, they'll have this part of the story, and then they're going to like include a, another part of the story. So it's almost like, think about an Oreo cookie. We all love Oreos. They're delicious, right? You got the cookie, you got the cream, and then you need the bottom cookie, right? So this next story about these accusations against Jesus are like that cream right in the middle, but then we'll get back to the, the whole family drama. So just so you understand that. But what I do want you to point out or to notice is this idea of Jesus being an insane man is circulating. It's circulating. Because it's here with his family, his family, his own flesh and blood, so to speak, is like, he's lost his mind. He's crazy. We got to go get him. We got to go get him. He's going to die. He's going to die, right? And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, that's, that was a prophecy that they told you at the temple when, you know, he was born, but not because of this. He's doing the Father's will. As Mary and, and her crew are making their way towards wherever Jesus is at, Capernaum probably, some other ones show up. Verse 22, the scribes 
who came down from Jerusalem. And just so you understand, geographically, Jerusalem is southeast of this region. It's to the south. But you always, if you're leaving Jerusalem, you're always going down to, I don't care where you're going. And if you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Because it is, it's up. It literally is up. But that's, if you ever notice that, and if you're like, happen to look at a map, and you're like, no, wait a minute, they didn't. No, you always go up to Jerusalem, and then you always go down from Jerusalem. That's just how it is. And it's amazing when you can do that, okay? So go to Israel. If you get a chance, go to Israel. You will love it. Absolutely love it. Um, But anyways, these scribes are coming down from Jerusalem. They were saying, this is what they're saying, the scribes. He's possessed by Beelzebub. This is a demonic spirit, Lord of the flies. More specifically, Lord of the dung flies, just to add a little bit more insult to injury kind of a thing. Not just flies, but the ones that hang around dung. That demon is what drives Jesus. How is he able to accomplish all these healings and and casting out demons and and setting people free and preaching and teaching with such great authority? Oh, he's demon-possessed. That's where you come? That's where you get to? That's the conclusion you get to? Religious leaders, they want to start this lie. They want to circulate this lie that, yeah, his family thinks he's out of his mind, but now you have the scribes, the religious leaders, experts of the law saying, oh, He can't do this by himself. Well, he's got God, right? No, no, he doesn't have God. He has a demon. He's a demon. That's what they started. It says, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And I don't know about you. I'm a pretty linear thinker, A to B. That's usually how I roll, A to B. You know, very logical to a certain extent. And when I read stuff like that, I'm like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm not even an expert in law or religion or anything, but I also know like, wait, he cast out demons by a demon? That doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. And even Jesus is like, are you guys listening to yourselves? It says he called them to him. I love this. Jesus calls these scribes to himself and he says, hey, let's have a little talk. Let's have a little talk. He's going to say to them in in little mini parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Which is the question I would have. Like, he's like, I'm sorry, but how does Satan cast himself out? It doesn't work. How can he do that? And they're like, uh, (laughs) and he's like, right, you don't, you don't have an answer because there is no answer. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. This accusation you're bringing about me, towards me, doesn't make any sense logically at all. Let's move beyond emotion and let's move beyond the... Let's talk logic. Logic. And you make none. You make no sense, religious people. A house is divided against itself. That house cannot, it will not be able to stand. A house divided, it'll fall. It'll crumble. That's um, a little parable speaking spiritually. It also has very real practical, you know, application within our own lives. Family-wise, we see that, man. Families that are split apart. It's sad, man. Just rumble. Just a mountain of rubble and, and just brokenness. 
But Jesus is speaking on the spiritual realm, and he, he's just saying it, there's no a kingdom, it won't stand. A house, house will not be able to stand in verse 26. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And this is these little parables that he throws out to these religious leaders. He's like, you are sadly mistaken to think that I am demon possessed. And what they really are doing, and they're not aware of this, I don't think, are really assaulting verbally the Holy Spirit. And he's going to caution them about what they're doing. And I think they're more than likely, they're going after him. But what they don't really realize, these workers of God, they're actually attacking God. And he gives them a warning. But he uses these little parables to say, like, look, Satan's not against himself. He's not, he doesn't work against himself. That doesn't make sense. And you know that doesn't make sense. He says, if you're going to break into the strong man's house, so to speak, and you're going to plunder his goods, you first and foremost have to bind the strong man. And Jesus, that's, he's like, this is what I'm doing. I showed up and I'm binding Satan. I'm binding the strong man and I'm plundering his goods. You're on the wrong side of the story. You're missing it. You're missing it. And he's literally going to bind him up after he comes back and the rapture thing that takes place. And he's going to physically bind Satan up to pit for a thousand years and all that good stuff. That's physically, that's going to happen. But in this moment, Jesus shows up on the scene and he has bound him, so to speak, and he is plundering his goods. What are his goods? His goods are those souls, those souls. And these guys are totally missing it. They're totally missing this. And it's such animosity towards Jesus, such hatred towards Jesus, they're willing to go so far as to say he is demon-possessed. That's how he does all these tricks. The moment somebody accuses Jesus of being demon-possessed really gives a good indication of where their heart is. Look, I mean, my goodness, even, I mean, the world doesn't totally get how amazing Jesus is. I mean, even People Magazine can't put him as person number one, right? Like, I don't even know how he doesn't make the top person on history's greatest people. Somehow Jesus loses out on that list. And I'm like, uh, he's in the top five, but it's like, come on. But even they get it like, well, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Well, yeah, he was a great guy. He's a great teacher. Yeah, he was a fantastic teacher. He's all those things. But technically, if he wasn't the son of God, then he was an insane man. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who I very loosely paraphrased what he had said. But I mean, he's either, he's either that or he's absolutely insane. And these guys are like, we're going to go with the insane route. We're going to go with that option. And you're like, are, you're insane. You're crazy. And you're missing it because of what? So blinded by their hatred. So blinded by the fact that he's not who they wanted him to be.
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.